those characters we're just lacking in tennis. We have a character. His name's Nick Kyrgios, and they won't let him be a character. They'll, you know, everyone wants to tame him. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Tennis Talk. And we've got some good news this week. We've got some tennis played over the last couple of days. We've also got tennis coming up in the next couple of weeks, men's and women's. So it's going to be a lot, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of exhibition tournaments. So we can't put too much weight into the results uh, and probably you know, not too much weight into who's playing uh, so much. But yeah, we've got some, uh, got some good players playing. Obviously, Dominic Team, he's been playing the last couple of weeks in Austria on the clay with uh, with some mixed results. He's lost some sets to players he should beat in straight sets. He's won some matches easily, uh, no surprise there. But he's probably the top player that we've actually seen over the last few weeks. He'll be playing in an exhibition in a couple of weeks again, and also Djokovic and Zverev, which we talked about last week. But we'll go through that in a second as well. But there's other names that are playing in the next couple of weeks and also a potential for a, uh, a very, very, uh, let's say, a very established player might be playing as well in July. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that as well. Uh, there are results going on at the moment and coming in at the moment. Alex Diminor, uh, Roberto Batista are good. They're playing in uh, Spain at the moment. They actually play tonight. So they'll be coming out. Uh, they'll be, those results will be coming through in the next few hours. Uh, and also Dominic Team is still playing his tournament over in Austria. So there are some tournaments still going on, which is very interesting. And also the women's, I think uh, Carolina Pliskova was playing as well. Uh, Andrescu and Kennan are supposed to be playing in a few weeks' time as well. So, uh, yeah, a lot of tennis coming back. Hopefully, we get the big tournaments and the big tour coming back in uh, August, which uh, will be very interesting to hopefully see because we've had no tennis for almost for over three months now, nearly four months. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. French Open was actually supposed to be playing the final today, so it's a bit of a shame. All right, let's go now to the breaking news, and we'll start with a very interesting story including uh, regarding Nick Kyrgios. Okay, so as you can see, coaching Kyrgios would be a no-brainer says John McEnroe. So McEnroe has put his hand up. He is the Labor Cup coach, and he has been dealing with Kyrgios with Team World for the Labor Cup, uh, which is, I don't think it's happening this year, but he said, you know, he would be happy to coach Nick Kyrgios. So we'll go down here and we'll read a little bit more. If Kyrgios never wants a coach, he could have one in John McEnroe. Uh, McEnroe goes on to say, uh, he'd be like a no-brainer. If it worked, it would be incredible. Um, yeah, so... I mean, we all know McEnroe, notorious for his bad boy uh, antics on court. Kyrgios seems to have seems to be the twenty uh, you know the twenty first century McEnroe, and uh, seems to be today's McEnroe. So maybe there's going to be something that could work out. I mean, we've talked about this on multiple Kyrgios live shows. Who should coach him? And McEnroe, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You know, it, he obviously knows what. Kyrgios is going through. He said in the past that he thinks Kyrgios is one of the the top five most talented players, uh, you know, in the world uh, at his best. I think he's got one of the best serves going around. I mean, he just nails that serve. He hits, you know, aces off that with no seems like no problem whatsoever. It just comes down to the mentality at the end of the day. And McEnroe has had those struggles in the past, and maybe could use uh, could you know take that experience and give it to Kyrgios, who can then maybe step it up over the next you know, 10 years or so if he continues to play for that long. So very interested to see if that works out, if that plays, because you know we have talked about multiple 
coaches for Kyrgios. Kyrgios doesn't have a coach. Pretty sure McEnroe, for the majority of his career, didn't really bother having a coach either. So they've got that in common as well. Um, you know, it, it'll just come down to, I think, if they clash, you know, if they clash. It might be a perfect fit on paper. We look at it. They look at it. They might think it's great. But they could clash personality-wise because they are so similar. So that you know, is something that we've got to keep in consideration as well. I've always thought that Lendl might be an interesting coach for Kyrgios. Um, I know Goran Ivanizovic, who's coaching uh, Novak Djokovic at the moment, has also said recently that um, you know that Kyrgios could be you know a Grand Slam champion if he just got his mentality right. And that's what Goran went through as well in his career. He was getting to finals of majors and just couldn't get over the line until he sorted out. Um, and and got and got more of the good Goran, which is what he called it, because good and bad, um, and and that's why he won his Wimbledon uh, won a Wimbledon title from you know becoming a better player and uh, mentally being better. So you know these guys, these legends of the game and former Grand Slam champions, all can see that Kyrgios has the game, but he just needs to put it all together. You know, I think that's kind of the general consensus overall. But um, I mean, McEnroe Kyrgios, that could be a lot of fun. I think that could be, uh, it could be a match made in heaven, it could be a match made in hell. Let me know in the comments down below what you think, but I think Kyrgios versus, or Kyrgios and Mackin are on the same team. We look at the Labour Cup and it works out well, even though it's a coach, it's more of a captain-player captain relationship rather than a coach in day in, day out. But who knows, maybe it could be something where McEnroe only shows up for the big events. Maybe not you know, an everyday, every week coach. Maybe he just shows up for the, the events where, you know, where Kyrgios needs, needs the most, uh, has the most pressure on him. You know? So uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that because that'll be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next you know, uh, year or so. And, and I don't know, I just, I just want to see them try it. I mean, let's just try it and see what happens. It could be crazy, it could be fireworks, it could be terrible. Uh, or it could be awesome. I mean, we have to wait and see. All right, let's go to the second story now. Okay, so the second story is regarding the U.S. Open, and we have a potential for a double header with U.S. Open and Cincinnati all being played in New York City. So we've talked about this over previous weeks that New York, uh, you know, is the epicenter of uh, what's going on at the moment. So uh, it's it's a danger, you know. It is a danger to play there. It's also, you know, uh, I think they converted it into a um, into like a, a testing area and stuff like that over the last couple of months uh, because it's a big venue and they need all the space they can get. Uh, but yeah, it looks like Cincinnati and potential U.S. Open are going to be played both at Flushing Meadows in New York, which means that players would have to show up because Cincinnati is an ATP 1000 event that. Is usually played obviously in Cincinnati, and is a good lead up into the U.S. Open. It's one of those tournaments where uh, you know the best players in the world always play it. I think Federer's won it more times than anybody. Djokovic has won it a few times. Uh, Medvedev, I'm pretty sure, is the defending champion for the men, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a lead-in event to the U.S. Open. But they're all going to be played at the one venue, so um, it could be interesting. It could be terrible, but we'll have to wait and see. Um, you know, it, it makes sense on paper because. You've got all the best players in the world having to come to New York. Why would you risk them going to Cincinnati and then coming to New York? Why wouldn't you just come to New York and just stay in New York for, you know, for three or four weeks? Um, you know, obviously they can keep an eye on the players then as well. The uh, the tournaments they can keep an eye, or the, the tournament directors keep an eye on players, test the players, do all the things necessary to get the players from the hotels into the stadium. Uh, whereas if they had, you know, this tournament played in Cincinnati. 
it would be a little bit difficult to manage players and monitor players. There's so many players, you know, we've got 128 in the main draw for the men and the women. So that's, you know, we've got almost 300 players, including qualifiers. And I don't know what doubles is doing, but, you know, there's a lot of people that've got to manage, a lot of players, not to mention, you know, um, staff and stuff like that. They do have to have staff members, hotels, you know, there's a lot of people they could come across. So to keep it all concentrated in, you know, in Flushing Meadows in New York, Makes sense. Why would you go to Cincinnati and risk, you know, if we only need one case for everything to be shut down again. So I think it's a smart idea. I think it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Um, we'll talk about Rafa in a second. He's not very happy to go traveling anywhere at the moment. So uh, we'll keep an eye on what happens there. We'll, we'll read that in a second. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think that uh, I think it just makes sense that they put it all in the one spot. And, you know, they do need a warm-up tournament. You can't just start a Grand Slam tournament without you know, some sort of warm-up, you know, the only players that have done it is sort of at the Australian Open, but everyone at the Australian Open is sort of starting from zero. Um, and, you know, there's not, it's very rare that, you know, Federer being an exception coming from nothing and six months off to them winning that tournament with no warm-up tournament. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see, but I think it's a good idea and anything just to get the tournaments going. Let's go now to the third story. Okay, so speaking of Nadal, like I just said, Nadal wants everybody to wait a little bit longer. So he doesn't want this tennis to come back earlier than it needs to. He wants it to be safe, and he wants everybody to wait a little bit longer. So we obviously have to wait until August. But Rafa's saying, let's not rush into this. Now, the reason why is because, obviously, he doesn't want to get sick. He doesn't want everything to go, you know, to, to start for one week and then go back to, you know, uh, go back to being suspended. So uh, he says, if you ask me, this is um, him talking, I think, uh, a couple of days ago uh, to reporters, uh, mainly about the French Open, but also talking about the US Open as well. Uh, if you ask me if I want to travel to New York today to play a tournament, I would say no. So it makes sense. I mean, Nadal doesn't want to fly to New York. New York is, you know, seems to be the most hard hit place at the moment. Uh, the strictest lockdowns, all that kind of stuff. Um, seeing, you know, Europe seems to be opening up a little bit more now, which is probably why Nadal feels like in Europe it'd be a little bit easier. Going from Spain to France, it's a little bit closer. Uh, going to New York's a fair way away. Uh, but in a couple of, he says, but in a couple of months, uh, I don't know how the situation is going to improve. I'm confident that if the tournament is played, it's going to be under extremely safe conditions. If not, in my opinion, it doesn't make sense. So... Yeah, behind closed doors, that seems to be what's going to be happening. Um, it's been, uh, it starts on the 31st of August, the US Open. Um, but yeah, he's just saying that, you know, maybe starting a little bit earlier is not going to be responsible. Maybe it's irresponsible to start early. Maybe it's not worth the risk. And he said if, you know, if the US Open was on tomorrow, he wouldn't travel there. And I think a lot of players would be in that boat. Um, it comes down to really, you know, the luxury of being a top 10 player. You can afford. You know, tennis is this is the living for most of these tennis or for all of these tennis players. So, um, you know, for the guys who are in the top twenty, top ten, they can afford to skip big tournaments. Whereas the people that you know that are below top fifty, probably even top thirty uh, and below, they rely on playing these tournaments. So they're more likely to take the risk, which you know take a risk of going to New York and at least getting a paycheck. Nadal can have the luxury of sitting back and not doing any of that and skipping the tournament if he doesn't feel safe. Uh, he's skipping, you know, obviously history-making potential. 
Um, defending champion, he's losing a lot of points, but I don't think Nadal's worried too much about that. He'd rather be safe than sorry. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few months. Obviously, we still have about, you know, uh, six, seven, eight weeks until the tournaments come back on, you know, according to the ATP and WTA. Uh, August 1st is supposed to be when it re resumes. August 31st is the US Open. A lot can happen in a couple of months, you know. We could go, uh, we could, everything could slide backwards. Everything could be, uh, you know, go 10 steps forwards. We just have to wait and see as we have been waiting for the last couple of months and seeing what's happening. So Nadal won't travel if it was on tomorrow, but, you know, we'll find out in a couple of months if he's still willing to go to New York to defend his title. All right, let's go to the next story now. All right, next story now. I hinted this at the start of the show. It involves Roger Federer and Angelique Kerber. They have both been invited to Berlin exhibition tournaments. So they're going to be playing two tournaments in Berlin, one on a grass court, one on a hard court. Uh, the, the fields are going to be consisting of six men, six women. Uh, it's going to be played in July sometime. And Federer has been invited, uh, and he'll join, if he does accept, will join a pretty good a good cluster of players when we'll read that out in a second. Um, so, yeah, so you can see here, Berlin will host two three-day events with six men and six women. The first will be on the grass at the Steffi Graf uh, Stadium in Berlin, and the second will be on a hard court in an airport hangar or an airplane hangar. And I think that sounds awesome. I'd love to play in an airplane hangar. I think that'd be awesome. Uh, it'd be awesome spectacle, even though we're not watching it in person. Obviously, no spectators or anything, anything like that, but... What a strange setting to play a, a play an, an event. So I think that'd be awesome just to watch that. We probably will watch that on the channel, to be honest. Uh, and then, you know, the events will each offer uh, 200,000 uh, euro in prize money. So, you know, there's that as well, if that makes any real difference. Uh, and then the men's field, we'll go through that in a second. But yeah, the tournament organizer said, of course, we will... Um, We'll ask Roger. Why not? I mean, he's played Stuttgart before, Haller. He plays on the grass court, so why wouldn't he play? Uh, also, speaking of other players that are playing, uh, confirmed Zverev, Team Kyrgios, and Sinner are all playing for the men. There's two more spots up for grabs. Federer's been invited as one of those spots, and then maybe another player, um, you know, maybe like a Berrettini or something. I mean, we haven't seen much of Berrettini lately. Um, and then you've got on the women's side, Svetolina, Burtons, Georges, and Petkovic, who will then, uh, if Kerber accepts, will uh, will then join that field with someone else as well. So I would say Kerber will probably play. I mean, it's in Germany. She's German. Uh, also grass courts. She's got you know a Wimbledon title, so she might. You know, but I don't think the strange thing about having a grass court exhibition doesn't really make sense at this time because we don't have any grass court tournaments coming up this year. So I don't know why an exhibition on grass would actually make sense, but you know, maybe the, the hard court event, you know, that makes more sense because we've got the US Open coming up in August potentially. So um, yeah, it's kind of strange. A lot of players playing exhibition on clay, which makes sense. French Open's coming up, but having a grass court exhibition tournament, I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to Federer, obviously, being the, the you know the most winning U.S. Uh, sorry Wimbledon champion, he uh, he's got the invite for that, and he loves playing on the grass. He's won you know so many matches on grass, uh, won a lot of titles on grass as well in Halle, uh, which is also in Germany. So maybe there's something to that, but I just don't understand why you would play on grass. I just don't understand that. 
Maybe they can't change the court surface. Maybe that's the reason. It's fair enough. But uh, yeah, Federer has been invited. We haven't heard anything from Federer since he pulled out, or sorry, since he uh, went into surgery after the semifinal loss to the Australian Open. So we haven't seen Federer since then. And like I said last week, I think this break has been the best thing for Federer because Federer's had time to recover while everyone else has sat at home waiting for the tournaments to start again. So Federer was already going to do that. And uh, he got away, you know, and he got everyone else to have to stay home too. Uh, obviously not his fault, but, you know, he got uh, he got the luxury of everyone else uh, not being able to chase his records and not being able to uh, play either. So Federer joins that field. I mean, Kyrgios, team, Zverev, Sinner, Federer. Whew, that is a tournament. I don't know about the gra- on the grass. Obviously, I'll watch it if it's on grass because Kyrgios, Federer on grass. I mean, whew, what a match that could be. But uh, yeah, it would be very interesting to see. That's meant to be happening in July, so we'll keep an eye on that. Fingers crossed, because we want to watch Federer. We haven't seen Federer for a long time. Um, and yeah, we haven't seen... Obviously, we want to see Federer play these exhibition tournaments like we're seeing you know, Djokovic and team and Zverev playing in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's go to the last story now. Okay, so the last story. Greek favorite City Pass returns to the court. So... Stefano Tsitsipas, top 10 player, has confirmed that he will be playing in uh, Patrick Moritoglu's Ultimate Tennis Showdown. So I'm actually really excited about this tournament because um, uh, Moritoglu, if you don't know, is the coach of Serena Williams, has been for the best part of the last 10 years, and also is, I think, an advisor, an advisory role for Tsitsipas. Obviously, City Pass's dad is his coach, and also Coco Goff. He he manages, uh, or he, he he is part-time coach for for Goff as well. So uh, he's got a got a good resume, uh, Moritoglu. And also, this he's saying that this tournament will be a tournament that will be able to allow players to express themselves a bit more. They won't be you know there won't be penalty point penalties and code violations. So players can actually be a little bit more expressive. And, uh, and show their true personalities and character, which he believes, and I believe this too, um, has been lacking over the last 20 years because uh, the characters that we used to have back in the day who got away with anything, Connors, McEnroe, uh, these days, umpires are too strict and the rules are too strict. And I believe, well, that's another story. We'll talk about that another day. But um, back to this story. On the, uh, I think it's on the 13th of June, this tournament's meant to be played. Uh, Stefano Pass will be playing. He hasn't played, uh, obviously, since the final of Dubai where he lost to Djokovic. And Pass had a he had an okay start to the year. I mean, he didn't do anything crazy. He played okay at the ATP Cup. He lost early at the Australian Open. He won a title, I think, in France during, um, during February. And then also the Dubai final where he lost to Djokovic. So he had some better results towards the... Uh, the end of the first part of the season, I guess we could call it. Um, but yeah, so you can see here, uh, 10 players are going to be playing and uh, they're all going to be playing for one uh, one you know, crown. They call it a crown. 10 players, one crown. The winner gets a crown, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, so other players that are playing, let's go through that. Uh, you've got Pass, who is confirmed. Uh, Goffin is playing. Felix Ogiali-Assim. You've got Benoit Paire, Richard Gasquet. Uh, Luca Pui, uh, you've got Poprin, the young Australian playing, Dustin Brown is playing, and also Mat- uh, Matteo Berrettini is also confirmed this week that he's playing as well, which means there's one more spot up for grabs, and I don't know who they'll pick, 
Gail Monfils, maybe. Uh, there seem to be a lot of Frenchmen. Uh, also, Fabio Fanini pulled out. Of, we talked about that last week with the injuries, or sorry, the surgery on his ankles that he got last week. He was supposed to play, but he pulled out. So, one more spot. Yeah, maybe put a Monfils in there. Who knows? I mean, uh, Roberto Batista Gutz not too far away. Uh, he might be worth putting in there. Yeah, I mean, since he passes the... A lot of the other guys, you know, Zverev team, Djokovic are already playing, so they're not going to be able to play. But, um, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with that. I'm interested to see what's going to happen because uh, there's been a lot of promises from uh, Moritoglu who, who's saying that, you know, tennis needs a bit of a shake-up. It needs to, you know, adapt with the times. And, and I, think that's a, I think that's true. You look at the biggest sports in the world right now, NBA, UFC... These are some of the sports that I watch personally and, you know, some of the biggest sports in the world. Obviously, you know, soccer is also a massive sport around the world. But one of these, you know, these these tournaments and, sorry, these um, sports have, you know, updated over time and it seems like tennis has just gotten stricter and stricter and stricter. And, uh, you know, he, he also says, Moritoglu says that, you know, tennis needs heroes and villains. We need characters and we need, you know, these personalities that we used to have, you know, you had Agassi when he was wild and then when he was tame. Then you had McEnroe, obviously, Connors, Borg, who was the opposite of McEnroe. You know, those characters, we're just lacking in tennis. We have a character. His name's Nick Kyrgios, and they won't let him be a character. They'll, you know, everyone wants to tame him, you know. So, uh, and then the guys at the top, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal, are, you know, very humble and very quiet. You know, even going back to the early 2000s, you had Leighton Hewitt, who was very, you know, very vocal, obviously, on court with uh, his, you know, his uh, fired up expression and uh, you know that was a character Andy Roddick he was a character Murat Safin he was a character but we're not getting those things now because this you know what Moritoglu was saying is that the uh, you know the the rules are a little bit too strict you know if Marin, imagine, imagine if Marat Safin was playing these days he would not be able to he would lose matches based on throwing rackets and uh, and out you know being out there and outspoken so I think that's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this tournament goes and what they'll allow, uh, you know, we don't have a Kyrgios in there, which would have been really fun to watch if Kyrgios was there, you know, trash talking. That's something else we don't really get. We don't have trash talk. We don't have the rivalries that we used to have in tennis. You know, you look at, for example, Conor McGregor in the UFC, very outspoken, maybe a little bit too much at times, but the rivalries of the UFC, boxing, they have rivalries too. Fury Wilder was huge couple of uh, months ago you know that is what tennis needs we need these you know we don't need people to hate each other but we need players to just have this fire Medvedev City Pass that's a rivalry that I like and I hope they uh, the ATP allow that to happen and not you know restrict you know Medvedev's character City Pass is a character they're not the best of friends and that's why we love watching them so we'll wait and see what happens. But yeah, confirmed. City Pass playing in the tournament starting next week. We might actually watch some of that. So let me know in the comments down below if you want to watch those matches. All right. So there are all the news for today and uh, this week. If you've seen anything during the week that I've missed, make sure you comment down below uh, and uh, let me know. And we might pick it up on next week's show. But yeah, tennis slowly getting back into it. More and more news about the top players playing. So very keen to see what happens. Let's go now to your questions. So as you know, every week we do uh, viewer questions. We put them on the community tab on YouTube. Uh, we put them on the Discord. You can, you, know, you can direct message me on Instagram if you have a question that you want read out on the show. Uh, and we've got some good ones today. Very interesting ones. A lot more detail in these questions. So let's go through the first question now. Okay, so 
First question is from Charging, and it's, should the French Open be held with fans? Now, this is, uh, this is an interesting question. I mean, the French Open, they were the first tournament, and I think the only tournament to date that said, we're moving, and they didn't really consult anybody else. They kind of just picked up and went, we're, we're going to play in October. Good luck with everyone else. You know, everyone else get out of the way. We're coming to October and September. And, uh, you know, will it be held with fans? Should it be held with fans? I think the answer at this stage is no. I don't think we should have fans at any of these events. The more fans we have, the more risk we have of being suspended again. So, you know, in order to, to avoid having the tournaments suspended and the tour suspended again, we need to have as little amount of contact with people as possible. Players, coaches, um, chair umpires, staff, that's about as much as we can have. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want other. You know, as much as I am a tennis fan, as much as I want to see, this, you know, the roaring of the crowd and stuff like that. I just don't think it makes sense. And if we do have that, it's just going to run the risk that the tournaments for the rest of the year get cancelled because we only need one person to test positive, with, um, you know, with con- having contact with somebody in the stands, a fan. I mean, it, it would just be an absolute nightmare. So I don't. I just think it's not worth the risk. Even if they played the rest of the tournaments for the whole year with no fans, I just want to see tennis. I don't really mind if we don't have fans. I just want to see the tennis. I want to see the best players in the world playing for the best tournaments, biggest tournaments. And if we have to reassess this back in 2021 and get the fans back in, that's fine. But I think up until the end of the year, I think no fans make sense. If you put fans in the stands, you're risking the whole tour, not just the tournament. The whole tour could be cancelled on men and women. So just not worth the risk in my opinion. But let me know in the comments down below if you have a different opinion. Uh, Do you think fans make sense? Obviously, we miss the atmosphere. It's going to be a weird, weird tournament to watch if the US Open does go ahead with no fans. I mean, it's going to be be quiet. But UFC have done it, and you watch the UFC, and it's not so weird anymore with no fans. A little bit strange that, you know, there's no cheering, but still, you have the best of the best fighting each other in the UFC. You have the best of the best playing tennis against each other. That's what we want. Hopefully, that's what we get. All right, so the second question now is from Gergo. Hope I pronounced that right. Um, This is a very interesting question. We're going to go into a little bit more depth on this one. Why isn't there dominant players on the WTA? So you got the ATP, obviously, Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal. They've won everything, especially in the last 10 years. They've won the majority of the titles, with the exceptions of a few. But on the women's side... Serena has been the most dominant player, but everybody else, you know, there's a lot of players with one or two slams in those t- in the tour. So why is that? Why is the WTA doesn't have as many dominant players? And I'm assuming that you mean uh, when you say that, why aren't there two or three players winning everything? Why aren't there? Let's go through the numbers. So in the last 10 years, since 2020, uh, sorry, since 2010, the start of 2010, on the men's side, Djokovic has won 16 majors. Nadal's won 13. Federer with five. Uh, Murray, Vavrinka with three. And Cilic with one. So that's six champions over the last decade. Six different champions. On the women's side, Serena Williams has won 12. So she's won as many, almost as many as Nadal did in the same period of time. So... Uh, you know that's dominance, in my opinion. There is a dominant player on the on the WTA. There's just not multiple dominant champions, um, but there is a dominant champion in Serena Williams. So we've got to remember that. So there are there is one, but then after that, the person with the next 
most majors in the same period of time was Angelique Kerber. She's only had three, and she actually beat Serena twice. Uh, sorry, in two of those, in two of those majors in the finals. So um, you know, she beat her at Wimbledon, and she also beat her at the Australian Open. So three of those majors. And that's the next highest. So 12, then three, then there's a bunch of players on two, there's a bunch of players on one. 20 champions in the last 10 years, 20 different champions in the last 10, 10 years, as opposed to the men's where there's only been six. Now, there obviously is a difference is the, you know, if there was another dominant champion on the women's side, let's say Kerber, for example, because she's in there, and she had won 10, there'd be a lot of players here that have won that haven't won any. And the list would be shorter, and maybe there'd be 10 unique champions, uh, different champions over that same period of time, which is a bit closer to the men's. But interestingly enough, we'll go through all the names now. Serena, obviously, she has won 12. Schiavone's won one. Kleisters has won two in the last 10 years. Lee Nah won two. Uh, Kvitova's won two. Stoes has got one. Azarenka's got two. Sharapova's got two. Bartoli got one. Panetta got one. Uh, Kerber with a three. Halep's had two. Uh, Osaka's got two. Muguruza has two. Ostapenko's got one. Wozniacki got one. Stevens, Barty, and Andrescu have also all got one. And then Kennan obviously won her first at the start of the year. Uh, I kind of put an asterisk next to players like Osaka, Barty, Andrescu, Kennan, and Stevens because they're at the start of their careers, and Ostapenko maybe as well. Uh, you know, they could be dominant in the next 10 years because uh, you know, they've all won their last their first tournaments in the last couple of years, and they're all relatively young. But, um, yeah, I mean, why does the WTA not have dominant champions? They have d one dominant champion. Her name's Serena. But, uh, yeah, other than that, not many. Not many. It's very, very wide open. But, again, I think that's what tennis needs. I think that's what the men's tournaments need. We need to have that. And I, we will get that. We will get that. Federer, Djokovic, Nadal, they're all in their 30s, near you know, mid, 30, mid to late 30s. And in the next 10 years, from 2020 to 2030... We're going to get a lot of random champions like the women's side. We're going to get a lot of two, three, four Grand Slam champion uh, players in the next 10 years. At the moment, we've only had Chilich, who's, had, who's got one. Whereas, you know, Murray, he probably should have had more. I think a lot of people would argue that he should. And Stan's got three, which is a great effort. And maybe he could have had more uh, if, you know, Nadal and Djokovic weren't around, you know, and Federer as well. But Chilich, he had the one. Chilich kind of backed it up when he got to the Australian Open and Wimbledon Finals. Uh, again, he could have had multiple ones as well, but I think in the next 10 years, that's when things will change a little bit for the men's tour. But yeah, the reason why there's no... There is one, you know, we've got Serena. She's, but she is the GOAT, right? She is the GOAT. So, um, you know, the greatest player of all time for the men and the women's, they're currently active and they're still dominating. Uh, they've dominated the last decade. So we'll wait and see. And also Serena, she's 38. She's getting older too. So uh, we're going to get more random champions. And who knows, over the next 10 years, Andrescu might, you know, come up and win 10 slams in the next 10 years. She's only, you know, 19, 20 years old. Um, you know, the the men's next-gen players haven't done it. So, you know, players like Kennan, Andrescu, Osaka, um, Barty, They've all won their slams in the last couple of years and really proven that they're the next generation to watch out for. We haven't got that on the men's side yet. We haven't got Tsitsipas and Zverev and Medvedev. Those guys haven't won slams yet. They've gotten to the semifinals and the finals now, but they haven't won slams yet, and that's the next stage. So over the next 10 years, we look at this, we, we do another one of these videos in 10 years' time, and we can re-evaluate the, the graph. I think we're going to probably get, you know, in the next 10 years, 
potentially you know 15 to 20 different champions like the women's side and i hope that happens because it means that a lot more countries get a get a champion in tennis and it'll just create more exposure for tennis as a whole the more champions we have on uh, the men and women's side from multiple different countries so we'll wait we'll watch this space but very good question and a very interesting question uh why there aren't as many women's uh, dominant women players as the men's you know but serena she's still flying that flag all right, and the final question is from Ange over on Discord, and this is another really good question. Um, do you think Andre Rublev will be a will be will win a major? Will be able to win a major? I think that's what it's supposed to be saying. Um, Rublev, he's probably been the best player besides Djokovic in 2020, in my opinion. He has dominated the tour at the start of the year until we got the, the Australian Open. He lost to Zverev, but uh, he was on an absolute tear two titles in a row got to the australian open uh fourth round i think uh correct me if i'm wrong but um will he be able to win a major and just like we're talking before i think in the next 10 years we're going to get a lot of random champions i put him up there because we forget that rublev was one of the original next gen guys he was there with Tsitsipas, medvedev zverev he was supposed to be playing in the top 10 with those guys currently he's ranked number 14 in the world uh, he's won four titles, and he's 22 years old, so he's very young still. Zverev's age, you know, Zverev's 22 as well, uh, but he's won two titles this year, and I think this year would have been the year. Unfortunately, it's been interrupted, but um, yeah, I think this year would have been the year that he he really broke out and proved to us not to forget his name because guys like Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev have taken his limelight because he was the guy. He would have been like he was considered. Up there with Zverev, you know, four years ago as, watch out for this guy. Now, the reason why we haven't heard much from Rublev over the this, you know, why he hasn't risen up the rankings and why we haven't heard of him as much recently, he had a stress fracture in his back, which took him out for a whole year. He lost a whole year of his career from a stress fra fracture in his back, but he came back and he beat Federer at Cincinnati last year. So that was a massive, massive upset at the time. Not so much when you look at it now because he is almost in the top 10. I think he would have made the top 10 if the tournaments were playing right now. I think he would have done really well. He beat Pass at the US Open last year. Um, Pass wasn't in the best of form, but still, he beat a top 10 guy at a Grand Slam. That's a massive win. Uh, but let's go through his top 10, uh, the, the records against top 10 players here. He's never played Djokovic, which I'm very interested to see him play Djokovic. He's played Nadal once, and he lost that match. He's got a 1-0 head-to-head against Federer. That was the win last year in Cincinnati. Uh, he's got a losing record against Dominic Team, One win, two losses. But he won the last one. So keep an eye on that. He won the last one. He's got a losing record against Medvedev, 0-2. He's got a, an equal record against Tsitsipas, 1-1. One one, but he won the last one, which was that US Open I was just referring to. He's got a terrible record against Zverev, 0-4. He hasn't won a set against Zverev. But again, that's what Zverev is the guy that, you know, it was Rublev Zverev. They were the two guys, and Pass. Now, you know, and obviously Zverev has been healthy. Rublev hasn't, and that's why Zverev is where he is, and that's where Rublev, I think, should be and probably will be in the next couple of years. Uh, against Berrettini, the number eight in the world, he's one and three, so he's got a pretty bad record against Berrettini. Uh, zero and one against Monfils. So again, I think that was a few years ago, but... Um, yeah, he hasn't got a he hasn't he hasn't beaten Monfils. And he's got a 2-0 record against Goffin. So when you look at that, he's got a pretty good record against the top 10 guys 
He hasn't played Nadal or Djokovic enough. He's obviously got the win over Federer. But um, it'll be interesting to see because he is number 14 in the world currently. And if the tournaments come back uh, and he regains that momentum, I mean, Indian Wells-Miami this year would have been really fun to watch with Rublev because he was coming off those two titles and, you know, a decent Australian Open lost to the eventual semi-finalist. But he might have been able to do something crazy, a final in one of those tournaments, uh, we'll never know, but hey, you know, hopefully he can regain the form, uh, regain that momentum, and push towards the top 10, because there's still a chance he could be a top 10 player. I mean, I, he's got a bad record against Berrettini, but I put him up there as someone who could be in that top spot, in the top 10 spot, maybe replacing Berrettini or Monfils, you know? Like, I think Rublev at his best could should be a top 10 player. And you put him up there with the next-gen guys, you look at Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, even Berrettini, who's, I think, 23, 24, those, you know, four guys, he's that same age age, age range. And I think, you know, going with results, uh, against those guys, he's not great. But I think over the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, he will definitely be in the top 10 and he will probably be able to improve his record on those guys. It seems like he might have the wood over City pass because uh, he, he had the last win. And, uh, and that was a really good win at the U.S. Open. So that was a big tournament and a big win over a big player. But yeah, he's just got to improve his record against some of the other guys. But I think it comes down to mentality. Watching Rublev, his mentality sometimes falls apart. And he sometimes does lose matches. Uh, he, almost lost, uh, he almost lost that match against Tsitsipas, actually. I remember watching it last year. Uh, and even though he's winning against a really badly hurt opponent... He nearly lost it. He nearly took it to a fifth set. So um, I think the mentality, and that you know, that comes with age. He's 22 right now. Zverev seems to be starting to click over that mentality, getting to the semifinals of the Australian Open this year. Maybe Rublev just needs one of those semifinals at the U.S. Open, a semifinal at the Australian Open next year, just a breakthrough to get that confidence and really, uh, you know, he should. He's definitely a top 10 guy um, because I put him in that category of next gen with. Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, who have all gone on to have really good starts to their careers with semifinals and majors uh, and the like. So, yeah, very interested. Will he win a major? I'm going to say yeah. I'll give him one for the next 10 years. Let's give him one. Uh, like I would give Medvedev, Zverev, Tsitsipas, and team a major in the next you know five years, 10 years. So, um, yeah, can he win one? I think he can. All right, so that is it for everything today. Thanks for watching. Uh, appreciate all the questions. Remember, next week, if you have a question you want read out, write it down in the comments below. And also next week, we have tournaments coming up. We have new events. Djokovic is playing soon. Zverev, team, they're all playing. Pass might be playing uh, next week or, or in the next couple of weeks as well. We've got top 10 guys coming back in the tennis. Also, I think the women's tournaments are happening as well, so we'll keep an eye on those. We'll do some updates next week on some results as well because uh, we might get some, uh, get some, you know, top, obviously top 10 players for men and women's playing. So we'll give you guys the results of those, uh, you know, of those tournaments and also those matches that are played because uh, there are some interesting results that have happened over the last couple of weeks with Dominic Team. He hasn't had it his own way, but, uh, you know, if Djokovic loses a set against someone he should beat easily... That's a story to talk about. So we'll talk about results next week and we'll go through them. Thanks everybody for watching. Don't forget to like the video, subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, and if you are listening to this on the podcast, make sure you give it a review as well. Uh, much appreciated. Until next week, we'll see you then.